Matthew 14, the whole chapter, starts out with an unfolding macabre scene at Herod's birthday party. You probably recall it. We are told that John the Baptist has been imprisoned for calling out Herod's sinfulness, his incestuous behavior in marrying Herodias, his niece, and his half-brother's wife. Herod, enamored of Herodias, seduces her, divorces his wife, and marries her instead. And John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, does not hold back in criticizing Herod's actions and the Jewish laws that his actions violated. And for such truth-telling, John was placed into prison. So John's in prison, and Herodias' daughter Salome is dancing for Herod at his birthday party. Herod is so pleased that in front of a large gathering of people, he offers Salome anything she would like in his kingdom. Her mother, still smarting from John's criticizing of her and Herod's marriage, calls the daughter aside and says, Salome, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so she did. And Herod, knowing that John was an innocent man, but not wanting to lose his face in the crowd, trades a life for his public opinion and has John beheaded and the prophet's head brought to Salome on a platter. One has to have some sympathy for Salome to have such grisly, selfish, and self-centered parents. At any rate, John's word of John's death travels quickly. When Jesus hears of John's murder, he leaves the area and he heads for the desert and the mountains of Bethsaida, away from the territory of Herod. Now often it is referred to that Jesus goes to the mountains and to the desert. But think deserted, not sandy. The desert that Jesus goes to is away from people. It's less populated. So there's often descriptions as well as of grassy knolls and meadows and such. But sooner or later, where, John, where Jesus is in the mountains, in the desert, mourning for John, praying, wondering about what was going on in this crazy place he found himself, where things just seemed to keep getting worse, wondering would he be next? What was he to do next? As more and more people heard about what had happened to John, they too headed for where Jesus was. Where did he go? Where did he go? And they followed him. And we know the prelude to this morning's reading that follows very well. It is, in fact, the reading we use each week for our offertory. And Jesus, on this mountain, in this valley, in this desert, glances out, and he sees the crowd gathering and he has compassion on them. If you would think just for a minute about that, Jesus looks out over the thousands, we are told, their murmurings, their longings, their shared sorrows, seeking for better, hoping for better, downtrodden, oppressed, and his heart goes out to them. And I wonder if Jesus, too, sometimes just wanted to go and make it all better.
So here they were, on top of everything else, confused and frightened by the death of John the Baptist, more and more concerned by the erratic behavior of Herod, and a group that more and more is looking to Jesus. Come on, Jesus. You need to be king. We want you to be king. Go, Jesus. Be king. Let's get this guy out of here. Let's change things. And they had to wonder. The crowds had to wonder, and they had to hope at some level. Would this terrible act against the cousin of Jesus, would it be the final straw that would push him to the tipping point? Would his senseless murder, John's senseless murder, catapult Jesus into calling them to arms and taking over? Finally, let's get out from under this oppression. Let's get out from under this persecution. Now is the time. Instead, Jesus feeds them. How much that says. He comes from prayer. He has compassion upon them. And He feeds them. And when they're done, He tells His disciples, get in the boat. Go across the Sea of Galilee. Go up to the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee to a town called Bethsaida Julius. I will meet you there. And one says, well, what would make Jesus send the disciples away? Why didn't He just go with them? Well, there are some scholars that say Jesus knew His disciples and He knew that they too wanted Him to be king. They knew that the disciples wanted Jesus too to get out there and come on, let's finally do this thing. Let's get that kingdom you keep talking about. Let's get these rooms in this big house you keep telling us about. So Jesus sent them away so that they weren't there to stir up the crowd that was already stirred up, calmed now by being fed. And Jesus stays with them as the disciples leave and then dismisses the crowd, which doesn't mean go home now. It means He bade them farewell and He spoke to them and they went on their way. And as they saw the disciples leaving, they knew that was a signal that it was soon time for them to go as well. And then Jesus heads back to the mountain to pray. He must have been exhausted. Sometimes it's easy to think that Jesus has like no emotions. Or because of who he was, he has somehow managed to rise above all of the tumult of the ups and downs that went on in the daily life of his ministry. Now I've always thought the opposite. I have always seen him as a living breathing, emotional being that knew every feeling we have known, will ever know, and in spite of the roller coaster, he managed to hold it together with a few outbursts here and there for which I am very grateful. And one of them I always think about is Jesus that day when he turned over the tables in the back of the temple. Can you see him? He had to be furious. He had to come into the back of that temple huffing and puffing. What are you doing? What is this? What makes you think you can do this? And he grabs these tables and he lifts them and he throws them. I am so happy when he gets teed off because it makes me feel better for when I do. But on this day, he had to be somewhere in that place. I mean, John is murdered. That's more than enough to bear. But then in the midst of that storm, he ministers to others by the thousands Others who all want to be healed or raise him up or something from him. They want him to fix everything. 
It must have been a temptation. He must have been tempted by the anger that produces the words, Enough! It's time for Herod to go. I've had it. It would be easy to see how the death of John and all of the oppression of the government of the time and the corruption of its leaders could have justified just such a reaction. And you know what? I think he could have pulled it off. I think he could have done it if he wanted to. But instead, he feeds them and he prays. And he prays a prayer maybe just like the one we often pray in such places. Dear God, Thy will, not mine, be done. Storms. Storms all around. There are different storms in the Bible about Jesus in the midst of such places. Political storms and physical storms, such as the one that takes place later midway across in the Sea of Galilee that Annie read for us. Now this particular storm appears both in Matthew and Mark, but there are some major differences. In Mark's Gospel, there is no reference to Peter stepping out on the water. When the disciples see Jesus walking across the water, they think he's going past them. And they call out, oh, it's a ghost, meaning, has he too been killed? Is that his spirit now walking by us? Did they get to Jesus as well? And when they call him, how glad they must have been that he walked in and sat in the boat. And Mark tells us that the seas then calmed. That's Mark's version. No mention of Peter. But now it is also believed that Matthew drew his information from Mark since Mark was the first gospel. That he drew some of his stories and narratives from Mark, from Q, which is a quell version. We're not sure exactly about it, but we know that they're sayings of Jesus. And then from M, which also refers to original material of Matthew. But Matthew was writing for a different audience, and we've talked about this before, how this is not a history lesson. This is about creating a landscape to help people to believe. He was writing for an audience bent on reforming Judaism to going back to its very strict codes. And he finds himself in the middle between the ancient and the emerging. And he is intent on a high Christology, much like John is later, that this is Jesus the Savior. And he elevates him above all else, above the movement to the ancient codes. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God, not the next rising political star to fix all the wrongs of the current political system. And in this story, Peter is the vehicle for that. It is Jesus who will save others based on faith, like Peter's, not on warring like those who were oppressing them. And from there, we come to here. The question that is always part of this is, did Jesus really walk on water? Come on. An answer as good as any other to me seems to be, seems possible for Jesus. Why not? But what about us? What water are we called to walk upon? What were other reasons that Matthew added Peter's experience to that story that day in the Sea of Galilee? You will think about that on your own. I'm going to ask you to please take the bulletin with you. Read the verses again. Take out chapter 14 in your Bible. Read it from beginning to end. Go onto the computer. Put in Matthew 14 commentary. 
Read what others have to say. See what comes out of it for you. What provocations do you get in your own thinking about what was going on here? Because as my seminary professor at New York Theological Seminary, Barbara Austin Lucas, who was about this big and made me feel as though she were 20 feet tall when she preached and scared the heck out of me, as she once said, when you read the Bible, it reads you. So give it a chance. And as you consider that story and these narratives, think about the water that we, you and I, are asked to step out upon in the midst of the storms of our lives. How do we manage through the toughest of times to just sometimes put one foot in front of the other, to walk on in the face of huge and frightening, disruptive and saddening events? Maybe the, one of the thoughts that will come to you is that it was not just Peter reaching out for Jesus in the midst of the storm, wanting to believe so much, wanting to be faithful so much, wanting to prove that to Jesus by walking on water amidst, in the midst of all of that, taking a risk, and in the midst of that risk, succeeding until he started to think, oh my God, I can't do this. Nor was it the story just about that moment of Peter asking for help and the immediate hand of Jesus being there for the asking. Yes, it's all that, but I think it's more. Maybe you will also think about the possibility that it was Jesus walking on water to them, to those he loved. Out of the terrible sadness he must have felt over the loss of his, company, his cousin, seeking some respite from the exhausting effort of the compassion for the masses that had gathered around him, some relief from the pressures that were upon him by being with those who were his disciples. You know, Jesus did it too. Jesus stepped out on his faith. He stays on his path, whether solid ground or not, bringing his witness to all of what it is his mother, father, has sent him to do. He does what he calls us to do. He is relentless. His is the assurance to not lose heart or hope, no matter what. His is the assurance that no matter what happens on the physical plane, that each of us is connected to more, to God, to a loving God, and that all of this is but a journey home. Follow me. No matter what the storm, no matter whether we falter after our first few steps or not, the hand of Jesus, or however you know God and Spirit, that hand is there to help. That help is always there, often through each other. And the answer is not war, it is not vengeance, but it is in heart. It is compassion, it is love, it is courage, and it is the risk to do which such things, that which such things call us to do. A little later on in Matthew, Matthew 22, 36 through 40, we have the following verses. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
all the law and all of the prophets hang on these commandments. Yes, even if it means walking on water. Amen.